Welcome to this edition of Rail Group On Air, the podcast series presented by Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. This is William C. Vantuono, Editor-in-Chief of Railway Age. My guests are two officials from DCLI, Direct Chassis Link Incorporated, which is the largest provider of marine and domestic uh, container chassis to the U.S. intermodal industry. We have Michael Malley, who is very well known in the rail industry as the former uh, head of uh, the Railway Supply Institute. Uh, Mike is Senior Vice President of Government and Public Relations for DCLI. And joining him is Ryan Haufeck, who is the Chief Commercial Officer. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. Uh, good, good to have you on board. Uh, Thanks, William. Uh, I guess to say on board that applies both to, to trains and ships, correct? So that works. Uh, yeah, appropriate, yeah, yeah. right? Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. Well done. Well played. Okay. So, uh, well, Ryan and Mike, why don't you tell me first uh, about your backgrounds and your past involvement in or with the railroad industry? But also, I'd like you to uh, like you to talk about DCLI to acquaint uh, our rail industry. Uh, uh, listenership about how DCLI fits into the intermodal space. What makes Bill, uh, thanks. Really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Uh, I've been in and around the rail industry for about 20 years now uh, with the federal government at DOT, at CSX, uh, with the Rail Supply Institute, as you mentioned, and now with DCLI. So uh, I've kind of seen the industry from the inside and the outside, and, and now, you know, from the perspective of a supplier that is uh, very integrated into the railroads intermodal operations and helping them uh, hopefully grow their business going forward. So it's uh, it's exciting. I was just sitting here doing the math. Uh, Twenty five years in, I, I didn't realize I'd hit that silver anniversary milestone of being in the business. Um, but uh, uh, have been in intermodal since ninety uh, six. Two railroads, two eastern railroads, um, all intermodal and a stint with uh, CMA CGM and their U.S. headquarters in Norfolk. And, uh, and most recently, the past four years in the, uh, in the chassis business working for, uh, for DCLI. So you both have extensive experience in, in rail and particularly in, um, the, in intermodal, which, uh, which, as we know, is the fastest growing uh, area of, uh, of rail freight. And there's a lot of synergy there, of course, uh, involving marine and trucking. DCLI has a fleet of 230,000 chassis uh, uh, involving, as I mentioned earlier, marine and domestic containers. So that's got to be a tremendous in- investment. Uh, what, what does it take to, to keep up a fleet of that more than a quarter of a million vehicles? Hey, look, everybody's role in, in the supply chain, whether you're a drayman competing with thousands of other draymen, the challenges that railroads have, we also, you know, there's been headlines around the challenges the ocean carriers have, and everybody in between, warehouses, et cetera, it's all hard, right? And, and these, this sort of era we're in now, this, this event that's been, been going on for, for six, eight months now, it, it is just making it harder on everybody. But I, I, chassis are, as you point out, there's nearly a quarter million of them that we manage. Um, they aren't exactly handled gingerly. They're, you know, so they're, we're constantly trying to keep up with, with, with their repair, keep them in safe working order. Um, they like to migrate, wander, you know, uh, leave a place where you need them and show up where you don't. And so we, we have a team of about 350 people 
that are segmented in uh, what we call logistics, which is essentially making sure you have the right chassis at the right place at the right time every time. Uh, we have you know, an extensive maintenance and repair department that is supported by a, a nationwide network of, of suppliers across 450 locations where our customers can pick up and drop off their chassis. Those include depots, they include rail terminals, marine terminals. It's, it's, it is a heavy lift and it's something that we're proud to do as a, as a for-profit enterprise. If you go back to where chassis used to reside, they were, they were kind of this cost center, capex burden, money losing, you know, asset that were a necessary evil uh, for the ocean carriers and, uh, and the ocean carriers themselves were, you know, not making money. And so, you know, competing for, chat, for capex, trying to put that towards vessels or, or what have you, and you can imagine where chassis fell and, and the pecking order. So we had to sort of, our whole business enterprise was born out of taking those assets, buying them from those ocean carriers, building a business around them. And then with, with, by doing so, we've made them a very investable asset, uh, both in people, but in the capex and the asset, uh, the maintenance and repair and everything else. So we really, really, our, our fundamental function is to have up the game of the chassis from a decade ago. And, and built a, a vibrant business around them. You know, when it comes to your operations, uh, the, the one word that comes to mind is, to me is, uh, well, two words really. One is logistics and the other one is technology, which is growing exponentially in, in terms of uh, you know, not only handling the chassis, managing them as you do, but uh, all kinds of things involved, tracking, uh, all kinds of sophisticated uh, applications, artificial intelligence, big data. So I'd like you to tell me uh, uh, as much as you can within our, our time frame here. You could probably go on for, for hours, but uh, how do DCLI's operations work? Uh, but specifically, uh, how do you work with the railroads to serve their intermodal customers? It's pretty blurry as to where railroad operations end and ours begin. I mean, in effect, we are an extension of the intermodal operations, right? Not only do the assets sort of underpin their, their intra-terminal operations, um, but we're serving the same customers. And, and so we have the very demanding customer set of the parcel carriers, the LTL guys. We've got, we've got some major e-commerce PCOs that are emerging and, and so on. And so, you know, the, the ocean carriers, the railroads, they, they do this enormous lift to get cargo either thousands of miles in the case of the ocean carriers or thousands of miles in the case of the, of the, of the railroads as well. And it can all kind of go wrong right there at that point with, with the chassis. Um, and, and, and we all have, you know, very demanding customers. I think they're getting more demanding as you start looking at e-commerce and some of those trends. Um, parcel guys are, 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 are famously, you know, Tough customers for all the right reasons. It is imperative for us to, to serve the railroads, serve their customers, do a great job at it. We aren't perfect. Um, and, and this certain, certainly this, uh, the, the pandemic related kind of, what do they call it? The, uh, the whipsaw, uh, our bull whip effect, I think Wall Street Journal called it, yeah. has really found, uh, you know, where is the water leaking in, in this system, right? Um, and we've learned a lot in that regard. But you're right. I mean, so we, we technology plays a key role. Um, and most of our logisticians were former Maersk Line employees. So these aren't, even though we were born to, uh, in 2012, 
we, we consider our experience levels to go back some 30 years, depending on the, the employee and, and their role at Maersk, which is where we were, we were spun off from back in 2012. So, um, you know, it, it's uh, one of the things that I told Mike when he was hiring on, the one thing I guarantee is that it'll be harder than he thought, <laughs> but then he'll be surrounded by really some of the best talent that I've seen in my, in my industry experience. That includes rail, motion carrier, everyone else. So, um, so we've got the talent, we've got the people, um, and, uh, it, 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 but it's hard. It is a heavy lift. One of the interesting things for me personally is having worked in a big publicly traded company at a class one, you know, we're a private equity owned company, 350 employees, smaller, certainly, a, you know, a little more agile. Uh, uh, but it is, it has been interesting to watch kind of the level of operating capability. Ryan was absolutely right. I mean, we have a team that is as good as any I've worked with on the operating side and, you know, a, an investor that, that really wants to see us grow and grow quickly. Uh, and so I think that is really helpful. We've put almost $2 billion into the fleet in a matter of 10 years. And, you know, that may not sound like a lot to a class one audience, but uh, for a company of our size, that's, that's a huge uh, bet on sort of the future of the industry and, uh, you know, future growth in intermodal. Your operations then are, are quite complex. Uh, to the customers, it, it should be transparent, okay, to, to the shipper. But there's so many pieces involved. There's so many pieces that have to come together. In a complex operation like this, uh, where there's so many modes have to come together and work seamlessly and be transparent to the customer, where are the weak links uh, in the system? And if it's and if rail is part of the part of the weak link, I think the railroads need to know that. I think they're, uh, as far as I can see, they're they're addressing that because the railroads really want to be part of the greater supply chain, and they always haven't done that as well as they can. Are they making progress? So there's two ways you can address, you know, you know, guaranteed chassis every there every single time for everyone. Like take chassis out of the equation in terms of all the different things that go wrong in the supply chain. And and there's one way you can do it is we just have 30 or 40 percent more chassis than you need on any given day, just there in, in you know sort of safety stock, or church Easter Sunday, all that stuff. And as you can imagine, our investors don't don't love that idea, right? And, and frankly, neither does the railroad or anybody else where you're you know, sort of choking on a congestion of chassis, either at terminals or in depots or, or wherever else. So for a lot of reasons, that is not a, a viable solution. Um, so then you go to, well, so what do you, what does it really take to, to have, you know, perfection? And it comes down to information, right? I mean, it, ultimately, the system is imperfect. Ships get delayed, not from a fault of the ship, but because of a storm at sea or, 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 or what have you. So there's, there's sort of a, a variability to the ocean segment. Trains get delayed, whether it be you know, derailments or other congestion or, or you name it, for a million reasons that, 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 that we all understand that happen in a, in, a, in a network like that. Happen. Demand has its bubbles, like we're experiencing now. It's an understatement. And here's the other factor that, that is this unknown is, is you get everything right. And then the chassis go out on the street, and then all of a sudden the street dwell goes from five days on average to eight days on average. That's what's happening right now. So there's no difference from going from, from a 40% increase in dwell to us taking 40% of our chassis and dumping them in the ocean while business is, is surging. Right? It's essentially mm -hmm. the same, same outcome. 
So the number of variables to kind of create perfection is probably an unsolvable equation. But it doesn't mean there's not tremendous opportunity to improve the information that, that flows through the system. And to be honest with you, I think the railroads are among the better part of that equation. Um, you know, they sort of have visibility to everything in their possession. They have a vested interest in the fact, in, in our success, because when we fail, their, their terminal can get gummed up and, and they fail their customers. And so honestly, I, I, I have a pretty positive things to say about the railroads and the role they play in making us successful. There are a lot of other attributes, because you're talking about hundreds or thousands of draymen and, and, and their underlying BCOs. There's definitely a shortage of information around what, what happens on the street with Dwell, which is such a key factor. Information from the ocean carriers, we did not see this bubble coming at all. How do you miss something so monumental as what happened between really July and October? But we had no line of sight to it. Had we had line of sight to it, we would have, we, we sort of had furloughed the better part of 20% of our fleet for all the right reasons as everyone was sort of hunkering down. Right. And to, and to be surprised, you know, then you're throwing maintenance guys at it, trying to get them out of furlough status, disrepair, and you're competing with everybody else trying to do that too. So it was a, it was a, a really a difficult period for us that could have been avoided again with, with information. So that is kind of the crux, uh, information technology. How, how does that flow through the system better? And uh, for the benefit of not just us, but, but really everybody. So let me ask you a question from the uh, uh, customer perspective. Uh, I, I will pretend to be a customer or a, a shipper who has ordered a box of a container of, well, widgets, okay, <laughs> from, from the Pacific Rim. Widgets, everybody, I, I still have, I'm trying to figure out what does a widget look like? You know, what is, what is a widget? But I have a container of widgets coming over on a, a container ship. It's go, and I'm based on the East Coast. And that container has to go, uh, come off the ship, get put on a, uh, a stack train, go to Los, go from Los Angeles, Port of Los Angeles, Long Beach, through Chicago or maybe around Chicago, make its way to New York, and then get and then get transferred to a, to a truck, and then delivered. In terms of information, where does the and I want to track this, okay? Yeah. Uh, I want to know pretty much uh, within a within maybe within a day or so, or maybe or maybe I'm a real tough customer and I want to know exactly when it's going to arrive. Um, where is that? Where is the information I need? Where is that coming from? How is it processed? Can you give us? Can you paint a picture for us? Yeah, I mean we're we're certainly not the the sitting in the right seat to exactly to know the, the best answer. There is a now a, a growing array of technology companies. One of them, by the way, is a sister company of ours, Bloom. Uh, Bloom, And that's essentially the, the, the problem they're trying to solve, right? Take, take all the disparate sources of information and patch together a seamless, you know, predictive, not, not just where is it, but where, 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 where should it be? And, and what are my options to sort of optimize all along the way? That's some of the things that Bloom is doing and doing very well. Um, what we do is take forecast information. So we, we have pretty good line of sight for cargo leaving the coast of China. Like once it's on a vessel and then route to us, we've got good forecast information that's reliable that comes to us from the ocean carriers. We coordinate with the railroads uh, to, to uh, you know, and to, to make sure we've got the chassis there, et cetera. Um, 
And and then ultimately you've got on the on the final mile, most Draymond I think are you know GPS on their on their on their trucks and and are able to kind of to flow that through to their end customers. But again, I, I think those end customers, that is the question that they're trying to solve with, I think a growing number of, of more and more sophisticated uh, technology solutions. And uh, so, I, you know, I, you know, it might be something when you want to do, you know, getting Bloom on here and really talking about that, because that, that's been a topic for, for you know, a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the answer to that is getting better and better, but I think it's still a challenge. So during this uh, COVID-19, um, which hopefully we'll, we'll see the end of it uh, at some point yeah. uh, this year, it, it has affected the intermodal market. To me, am I correct in saying that it's actually helped the intermodal market with customers or, you know, ordering more uh, instead of going shopping, they're, they're actually ordering goods to be delivered? Specifically, is related to DCLI. What have you been doing to support your, your customers? during? We parted the seas to get our chassis fully deployed where they needed to be removed. Uh, the better part of 10,000 chassis all over the country. We paid overtime hours, we worked weekends, we did everything we could do to get our chassis fleet completely 100% available. We're now down to, I think, 3.5% out of service. That's sort of like, like you know, unemployment can't get much below what, three, four, three and a half to four percent, right? It's sort of a theoretical minimum and, and mm-hmm. our chassis are really the same way. So we're at kind of, 96 plus percent availability. You know, while I'm sitting here in, in my office at home since March, our guys out in the field, women men and women out there are, are working unbelievable hours. I've never been really more proud than any, for any, any kind of company I work for. Um, so, so just a, an awesome uh, coordination and, and effort on, on our part to, to do our role. On the domestic side, so you mentioned e-commerce, right? That's kind of been a big headliner, right? Everyone. Yes. Everyone was, was ordering online. We saw Amazon's fourth quarter earnings the other day. They were astonishing uh, double profits, uh, uh, 40% increase in sales, something like that. So we all, we all are part of that story. Uh, what's interesting is how that translates over into intermodal. Um, and so, you know, one, you sort of intuitively would say, well, that's all like hyper fast. You know, it's going to need an LTL. And it's going to need trucks to, to do that. Uh, Turns out it's actually very, it's a very good fit for intermodal. And, and, and kind of a theory that, that's, that I've heard is that Amazon, for example, has more line of sight, predictive line of sight into, into human buying patterns than anybody's ever had before. And so they, they've built a, in the last 10 years, as they've matured as a supply chain entity in the U.S., they've built a massive DC network. And, and so they've actually, you know, the DC to DC model works as a good fit for intermodal. Um, just in time, not so much, but, but DC to DC is, is, is a key part of intermodal domestic. And so they have adapted their model around that because they can be very thoughtful and predictive around freight flows. They're not just rushing because you, just because we experience a, a buy now and it's there tomorrow, doesn't mean they've moved it from LA to get it to your, <laughs> to your house, right? They had that in the DC, they moved it intermodally. And they're, and they're, I think they're just getting started in terms of their intermodal footprint. Uh, they're going to be moving more and more and more into the intermodal strategy. So uh, it's been, you know, we, it's been great. I mean, you know, um, and we see that being a good, one of those sort of next wave secular growth drivers for intermodal. I find the best information I get as a customer 
uh, as a consumer is from Amazon. And, and if that quality can, can carry over to the intermodal side, well, that's, that's great for the railroads. You're right. All that data, everything you probably roll your mouse over is creating data that, that is, that is creating a demand profile that they're able to sort of predict and get ahead of. And, and, and when you can get ahead of, of your freight shipping, then you can save money by using intermodal and not worry about any lost speed relative to a truck. Um, and so they may be in a position to, to, to disproportionately use intermodal more than anybody else has in the past, which is, uh, which is wonderful for, for, the, for the industry. Well, one factor here, uh, and Mike, this the, for you now, I'd like you to uh, jump in here and, and your role of uh, government and, and uh, public relations. Uh, you know, we've have, we, have a new, we have a new administration uh, in Washington. We have a, a, a new Congress or a change of the balance in Congress. Uh, how do you see the new administration and the Congress affecting, uh, affecting your business? We watch what happens in trade. Uh, obviously, there have been a lot of tensions with China. Uh, the tariffs, all of those things have had fairly significant impacts on our business. And, you know, I think we're, we're hopeful that things will normalize a little bit. But, you know, there are some real tensions and issues there, certainly that will continue regardless of administration going forward. Um, so that'll be interesting to watch. And I think we'll certainly have some impact on, uh, you know, container movements, uh, you know, going forward. Uh, for me personally, and, and more specifically to DCLI, it, it's a, there's a little bit of deja vu uh, in, the, in this sense. Um, we find ourselves, uh, you know, in a bit of a battle with the American Trucking Association and specifically their intermodal carrier conference, which represents some of the drayage carriers that, that Brian has talked about who are key partners and customers. And what's happened is, you know, over the course of time, uh, you've, you've seen a lot of these uh, chassis uh, pools at a local level move from what's called a gray pool, uh, where everyone kind of puts their assets in and a third party manages them, to competitive pools, where you have DCLI and our competitors, you know, competing directly head to head. Uh, and we've done this in markets like Houston and Memphis and Chicago, you know, as recently as the last 12 months. We've made that transition. And what it does is it reduces costs because you don't have that, that layer of additional management. It allows us to, to work much more directly with our customers, uh, to invest in our assets, and um, to compete and differentiate our service in ways that you just can't do with a great pool. And the feedback we've gotten from the vast majority of motor carriers is that the quality of the assets has gone up. In the Gulf, for example, we put 1,000 uh, chassis into that market. Uh, over the course of the last year at a time when demand for chassis was very high. And, and that's been very positively received. Um, the ATA, however, has asked the Federal Maritime Commission to intervene in this market in a way the federal government never has. Uh, and certainly the Federal Maritime Commission never has in a surface transportation mode. And, uh, you know, they want to kind of mandate great pools, everywhere, uh, which we think would be a huge mistake. Uh, investment would dry up, quality of the assets would go backwards uh, after 10 years of improving substantially. We use a, a, an analogy, uh, you know, you go to the airport to, for a car rental and you got Hertz who sort of, you know, really leans in on being a little bit more expensive, nicer cars, et cetera, and then you got, you know, Dollar or whomever, or some of these no-name guys. Stick them all into a great pool and let me, know, let me know what Hertz's investment strategy does thereafter. Right. When, when someone can rent their car and pay dollar, that's what they're talking about. 
really that that is exactly the, the model they're talking about somebody can use our chassis and then and then direct the revenue for the usage of that chassis to somebody else to another provider that's what their version of great pools means and that other and if you think about it, the arguments are very comparable to what the railroads have been, you know, saying to the STB for 25, 30 years now, which is, you know, allow us to invest, right? Encourage us, incentivize right, us right. to invest, mm -hmm. right? And that has played out big time. Ryan talked about when the ocean carriers owned the assets and they were nothing but a cost center. Uh, well, guess what? Today, you have folks like us who invest in the assets and can earn a return, long-term assets. It's a good thing. American investors. And then the dredge carriers, frankly, are also making money off the use of those assets. So they rent them from us uh, and they charge uh, that plus a markup to the BCOs. Uh, and, and for some trucking companies, it's become you know, a, a pretty good line of revenue and profit in addition to their core service. Uh, so we are a little bit uh, mystified by this. Uh, there are a handful of these uh, members from the ATA's Intermodal Conference that have created their own chassis company called NACPAC. Uh, and so that is clearly, uh, you know, part of why they're doing this. They don't like the way the market is going, I presume, and uh, therefore feel like it would be good to get the federal government involved in a way that they never had before. So um, that's kind of my charge as a new uh, member of the leadership team at DCLI. And, and we're doing all the things you would expect, talking to the FMC to the extent we can, talking to members of Congress, talking to the media, um, and it's been, it's been, you know, a lot of fun in terms of really just telling a story for a company that really has never had to do that. Uh, certainly not in the public policy context. So, so you're, uh, you're dealing with, uh, similar, uh, similar issues as you, as you did at RSI, the, the legislative things and trying to, uh, push back, uh, efforts at re-regulation, working on things like, like, uh, truck size and weight uh trade tariffs all all these things so it's it's common it's it's across the board regardless of mode you're still you're dealing with the same not the same necessarily the same issues but the same types of issues very very similar and i think you know when you really think about it to the extent people have to think about chassis right if you're a railroad or a trucking company or an ocean carrier the key thing is having them available and having them be high quality right that's what you right. care Mm -hmm. And the best way to do that is to have a federal policy that encourages investment and competition. And that's what these competitive pools do. Uh, and, and, and it's gone in that direction really everywhere but the Southeast. That's kind of the one last remaining great pool. Uh, and that could change here in the not too distant future as well. Do you have a, any feel for how, uh, uh, Secretary, Transportation Secretary uh, uh, Buttigieg might um, might get involved here, or what what or what his take might be on this. And he's got a lot on his plate, you know, dealing not only with with freight, but uh, you know, airlines, passenger rail, transit, just everything, really. Any any yeah. any feel for what uh, so direction what he might take? Is, this is the FMC case is very much like an STB proceeding, right? So there are kind of there's a legal framework in which all of that plays out and then it'll take uh, a period of time. Um, but as I think about, you know, what the secretary uh, has said in, in some of his opening comments, he's going to focus on safety and he's going to focus on improving the environment. Right. And so you want people to invest in whether it's chassis or intermodal containers or uh, flat cars, anything that can 
move intermodal more successfully, uh, you want people investing in. And, you know, as we all have talked about for years, rail is the most environmentally friendly way to move on land, right? So I think those are things, safety and climate uh, benefits are two things that Secretary Buttigieg would have interest in. Uh, and so certainly, uh, you know, as he gets settled in, uh, we're excited about the possibility to work with him and his team. Uh, and I think from the DOT perspective, you know, it's really the safety side that they have uh, sort of core responsibility for. Um, and just to give you one stat, so there are in the average year about 15 million gate moves, chassis going in and out of ports or rail terminals, whatever it might be, every year. And the average number of incidents, reported incidents, is 0.003% of those moves. Uh, and so you think about, you know, that, that's a very, very strong safety record. And we certainly don't want to see that go, go in the wrong direction. It would seem to me as though the uh, the focus on on the environment uh, th that comes right down from the top, you know, from from the White House. We know that uh, that President Biden has always been uh, rail friendly, uh, and not just as not just riding Amtrak between Wilmington, Delaware, and Washington D.C., but he seems to have an appreciation of an understanding of rail, um, and and if he is. Uh, serious about the environment, which I think he is, um, you know, that, as you said, I think that will translate to benefits for for rail and intermodal, both really together. Would you agree? I, I absolutely agree. I mean, you think about, you know, all the work that's been, there's been a lot of focus on truckers and everything they've done in COVID response, and they deserve an enormous amount of credit for sure. Uh, but I think when you look at all the railroaders out there and what they've done, uh, and I would sort of, you know, add DCLI employees as part of that group uh, as well, you know, that they have been heavily involved 24-7. I mean, everything Ryan described, right, in terms of what we have been doing. Uh, and I think that all contributes to improving the environment over the long term by growing the intermodal business and encouraging more freight to move by rail. And I think we wouldn't have been able to get through the last year without the benefit of intermodal rail and all the investments that the railroads have made and that folks like DCLI have made, you know, over the last, you know, decade or more. And, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll continue to make, uh, we, we see a continue, continued investment, uh, on the part of, uh, companies like Omnitracks, for example, that's doing a lot with port development. Uh, so I think you'll see maybe a little bit different perspective, certainly more focus on, projects that have climate benefits. Uh, but I fully expect to your point um, that those kinds of projects will compete well. Ryan and, uh, and Mike O'Malley, uh, thanks, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we can, we can uh, continue this, uh, this discussion. Uh, there's a lot going on in the intermodal world and the, and the chassis world. And thanks for educating me on chassis. Well, thanks very much, and uh, wish you both uh, good health and uh, prosperous 2021, and have a safe day. Mm -hmm.